really is great to be back. Yes, see, uh, I, uh, Russia was great, but I so missed, missed the church and I, and uh, I think every, every time it becomes harder and harder um, to, to be away. And it's so cool to be back. Um, I'll, just a quick story. Um, the, um, we, we, we landed in Moscow, and um, then we were two, three days there, and we went to Siberia. And I've never been before in Siberia. Um, and uh, the guys seemed at stage were quite open to just meet with us and see how we can partner and work together. And uh, when, I, when I got there, I, th- these guys completely sidelined me. So they um, were avoiding me. And I'm thinking to myself, why? Why did you guys get me here if you guys are not wanting to engage, wanting to speak to me? Which I later then heard the previous time that we were there, um, some of the guys that we met that were a little bit offended with us spread, uh, spread, <laughs> spread a few rumors about us. So by the time we got there, there wasn't such a good testimony and people were quite hard um, or not open towards us. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, why, why am I here? You know, um, I could spend my time with actually people that want to spend time with us. And uh, um, at that time, I, I accidentally made a pocket call. I made a WhatsApp pocket call to Denton. No, to Denton. I, I made a pocket call to Denton. And he answers, I hear someone is speaking on the other side. I thought it's the Holy Spirit. It was almost, it's Denton. <laughs> so, um, I said, sorry, sorry, it's a pocket call. And I was about to put the phone down. And then I'm like, whoa, whoa, why, while you guys are at it, don't you want to just please pray for me? Because I really don't know what, what's happening here. I can't see what God is doing. I don't even know why I'm here. And... Uh, um, they prayed for me right there, and Lorraine had a picture. She saw, she saw us as a team standing with poles in our hands. And you're like, why do we have poles? It was clueless, don't understand the poles and so on. And she said, what you feel the Lord is saying is, He's having you there to build bridges and restore bridges and build relationship there. And uh, um, just that moment to have understanding why just that perspective, you know, why are we here? And, and our hearts changed completely. And uh, in a matter of a day or two, um, these guys' hearts started warming up. And at the end, it was actually an incredible time. God's guys really connecting and really wanting to see um, how, we, how we work together. So this group specifically, I'll just say this. They, they come out of the old Baptist group. Um, that broke out of the Baptist group, but they still have lots of their Baptist roots. And there's a guy in their movement that's one of three guys that he claims in Russia that does proper deliverance ministry. And one of <laughs> one of the demons that they drive out is the demon of speaking in tongues, right? <laughs> so after they heard everything about us, they uh, go check on a 412 website. The first article to jump up is, tongues is still alive today, you know. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a high hurdle to get over, but we got over it. So anyway, it is awesome, awesome to be back. Um, 
this morning, I, uh, um, I want to ask a question. I think it's pretty much in line of some of the words that's already come out. Um, but it is uh, a question that is asked. I think it's, the, it's, it's one of the first questions that are being asked in the Bible. And uh, it's, it's probably one of the most important questions that you will ever have to face as a Christian. And most of you have probably had to come across that, uh, that question already. And uh, um, I hope you yeah, will see today in your heart how you've answered that. So this question comes in the book of Job. God is like a proud, proud father. Ask this question. He says, have you seen my boyki Job? There's no one that serves me and no one that worships me like him. And Satan had to admit, I saw him. I saw him. But who will not serve you? In the words of what we use today, if all your ifs comes true. If serving God means all your dreams would fulfill, who will not serve you, God? You are his lucky charm. You are the lotto that he always wins. What will happen if there is nothing in it for him to serve you? If we remove all his dreams and all his ifs, will he still serve you? And so God then obviously gave Satan then the permission to, to, to ruin basically and take away every, every dream. <laughs> or everything that he had, all what we would regard as every blessing, everything that was for him. He's the richest, most successful man on the planet earth. And in that moment, God gives full access to touch everything of his life. Satan has full access. Go for it. Ruin his life. <laughs> so that we can find out, why is Job in it? <laughs> why does he serve God? Why is he in it? Um. And basically, that's the question that all of you will have to answer in your life. Why are you in it? So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I, um, <clears throat> I always wanted to be great and famous. I, I, I think I, since, since, since young, I, uh, um, I like to watch sports guys. I like to see the honor. I like to see the glory that... that that goes to guys, and in my heart, I wanted that. I wanted to be great. And uh, um, at the age of 22, I failed dismally <laughs> in the in the pursuit of greatness. Right? There was just too many distractions on my way there. Right? And so uh, at, at 22, I was pretty much a loser. Right? Um, and then I, I, I got radically saved and God changed my life. He flipped it around completely. And I, I, I had what I would say a redeemed, sanctified vision then. I want to be great for God. I want to be like 
a faithier. I want to be like a God general. I want to be one of those guys that people will write about and saying, this guy, man, he put all his trust in the Lord. He was just like, you know, he was just like one of those guys that uh, we kind of want to aspire to, the God generals, you know. And uh, um, I considered the cost. I realized for me to be that, I, I'll, I'll have to spend a lot of time. You have to know Jesus. You have to know him well. You have to know him really, really well. And so the, the discipline and the prayer and everything that comes with it, there shouldn't be any meeting that's too much of a sacrifice. There shouldn't be anything for God. I should give myself for that. And so uh, my, my pursuit started. And uh, I, um, I grew extremely fast. I, uh, I got saved in May, uh, in the middle of May, that next year, that beginning of the year, I started Bible school. By the end of that year, they asked me to, well, I didn't know, we didn't have like youth pastor words, but it's like to start a youth, to start the youth off. And uh, success is a bad thing in the Lord, I'm just saying to you. Success, uh, um, Dudley Daniels used to say, success will test you like failure will never especially when a guy is young. And he will interpret success completely wrong, and somehow he would actually walk out there and thinking, I'm special. <laughs> and uh, what happened with me at that end of my, I mean, I'm not even two years saved. I'm a year, just more than a year saved. I start this, this, this youth, and in a matter of four or five months, this youth grew so big that it was bigger than the church at that stage. And... Uh, we had, to, we had to get buses in on Friday to get all the kids in. It was just, it was, it was like a bit of a revival, which has nothing to do with me. It was God, but at, at that stage, in the way that you interpret things, you say like, well, God needed a vessel, <coughs> right? And um, um, pretty much, pretty quickly, like, I thought like, here I, here I go. My, my dream is starting to come true. And this, like everything, the devotion to keep the dream alive and everything with it had to stay, you know. I had to sacrifice every morning, make sure I, I spend a good amount of time in the Word. Hours, hours in prayer. There was no prayer meeting that I will miss. There was nothing. I would, nothing that I would, that, that was, there was too much for me in order to gain the prize. And a year down the line of doing that, and really feeling so many guys coming up to me, older than me, and just speaking about the potential and everything with me. Suddenly, um, almost the opposite started happening. Um, much of the work started disappearing, a shaking happened, and this was like many, many, many kids leave. And... Uh, uh, a lot of the initial, just the opposite is happening. And in that time, in a, in a period of about a month or two, God started speaking to me very, very clearly. And the message that I got was this, you will never be as great as you hope to be. You will never be that guy. It's like one of those great prophecies that you want, you know. <laughs> you will never be. You will never be as great as you think you would be or as you hoped you would be. 
And obviously that's a disappointment. <coughs> but then my next question is, why should I then spend so much time in the Bible? Why should I be like, I mean, quote, unquote, A-level Christian here and be the highest sacrifice and the highest in everything if at the end of it all, I will just look like everybody else. Why? For me, I mean, I understand everybody is different in personality, but for me, that was, you, you, you apply it to whatever is in your life, all right? And I had to ask myself the question, why, why, why would I still do this? Right? Why would I sacrifice if at the end of it all, there is nothing in it for me? <laughs> and God is, I think, in some ways, lift up the veil, and I could see the future. <laughs> at least in my dreams and so on, it's not going to pan out as I was hoping. I was lucky. Some must keep that carrot in front of them all their lives. God was, God was gracious to me in that way. And so... I had to answer that question in my life, why am I in it? And the journey, and the journey that I'm on, and the journey that I'm still today is pursuing is at the end, why am I in it? It's because God is God. Because He's worth it. Because He deserves it. <laughs> because I was made firstly for His glory. He was not made for my glory. I, I got that wrong for a moment. I made for His glory. And if in the most glory that He can get is for me to be hidden, whatever it is for you, then let it be. And let it not diminish one bit of my devotion, my sacrifice to Him. You are worthy. You are worthy. And uh, that perspective change of how I saw the kingdom changed everything. So I, yes, if it's not the generators, it's this, uh, <laughs> this motorbike. Sounds like the guy's driven by a generator. Okay, so um, there's this verse. This is this prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians 1. I want to quickly, um, there's this three prayers that he actually prays. He prays, the first prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Him. Wait, before I get to 18, he's already there. I, I, I think verse 19, if you can add verse 19 as well. So, um, you know, if I would ask this question today, which is a simple question as well, why did Jesus die on the cross? I, I, I have shoved theological minds here that are able to give me paragraphs and paragraphs of answers right? Jesus died so that I can have eternal life. Amen? Jesus died that my sins can be forgiven. Jesus died so that I can have a relationship with the Father. Jesus died so that I can have life and life in abundance. Jesus died that the power of sin will be broken in my life. I, I get excited even as I say the reasons why Jesus died. That the power of sin will be broken over my life and that I am free to serve Him by the power of the Spirit. And that sin or death will have no longer a hold on me. I'm a free man because of the work of Jesus. I was expertise in able to explain that. 
But when Paul came to this prayer, something struck me that my approach and my answer to why that Jesus died was always firstly considering me. Jesus died for me, but Jesus didn't firstly die for me. Jesus died to satisfy the need of the Father firstly. And even in the center of the cross was me. <laughs> the question was never, what is there in it for God that Jesus died? And I tell you, primarily, when he died, yes, he had your life and life in abundance in front of him. But it was the glory and the joy of the Father that was stood before him. And if I approach the cross and if I embrace the cross, ultimately, it is so that he can be glorified. <laughs> anyway, so here's Paul's prayer in verse 18. As he continues, he says, The eyes of your understanding might be enlightened that you might know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? You know how many teachings and how many things are the church obsessed about, of people finding their calling? I don't know how often we are considering what is God's calling. Do you know how obsessed the church is with finding our inheritance? <laughs> and what is our inheritance and how to take hold of our inheritance? And I'm not saying that it's not a scriptural concept. It definitely is. But that's not what Paul is praying for. What is his inheritance in the saints? What is there for God that you got saved? <laughs> what is there in it for him? Is the question. And somehow, somehow that has shifted. That our inheritance and our calling has become central. And every way in how we look at the kingdom and how we look at the church is how that can satisfy my calling and my inheritance. As if the prime pinnacle of everything in my life is the fulfillment of my calling. And I read my Bible and I pray and I come to church. In fact, the church is there to help me achieve my calling. <laughs> in fact, the kingdom of God is there to fulfill my calling. And it's not the case at all in the way that Paul approaches it. Center of it all stands his calling. Center of it all stands his pleasure. And my calling, my inheritance, my everything that I have has one purpose only to be laid down for his glory. My, my driving force is his pleasure. <laughs> so, it's interesting, you know, I, I've, I've, over time, I had the privilege to to work with people in the discovering of calling. I, uh, I'll just maybe say this. It's, I just want to say, when the Bible was written uh, uh, in the New Testament, like half of the people were slaves. No one had thinking of what's my destiny. They didn't do job career surveys. <laughs> it was set out for you. Like, what's your destiny? That was not a first century question. It's become our obsession. It's not... A first century obsession. Now it is an obsession. In fact, 
That is pinnacle. I, 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 I have the privilege to speak with dynamic young guys all the time. Number one <laughs> is destiny and calling and how to get there and the sacrifice in order to get there. And when it's translated to the church, it's many times exactly the, the same. In fact, when you pick your church, you're thinking, how are they going to get me there? <laughs> in fact, almost 90%, if it's not 100%, of all your thinking is how to get there. And you give yourself to everything or go give yourself to sources that can help you achieve that ultimate aim. Death is definitely at least destiny as we would know it and dreams and purpose would not be a first century concept. I mean, since more than half of them are just slave. Destiny is set out for you. Now, while you're at it, love your boss. Turn the other cheek. Show glory to God. Don't stand on your rights. That was kind of the message more for the first century church. <laughs> Different to what we have, what we have today. But I've been fortunate to, to, to work with young guys, young dynamic guys that have so much potential. And I'm, I'm not contradicting what I'm saying. To do so much for God and so much for his kingdom. But I've, I've, even as the message came out, with what was shared today for all the things, I've seen the two different types of lives. I've seen a life where the big if is finally finding my calling. And the way, it's not that people read their Bibles. It's, of course, they read their Bibles. How on earth are they going to get to their calling? <laughs> it's not that they don't pray. It's not that they go to church. It's not that they do all those things. But at the end, the end of their lives is them. <laughs> and it's actually, no matter even how powerful the gifting is and the calling is, it's a small life because it's this big. <laughs> Some is bigger than others, but you get the picture, right? <laughs> but then you get those that the whole drive is the pleasure of God, is the kingdom of God. And everything that they lay down is in view of that. They live massive lives. They live lives as big as giving themselves for the inheritance of God, the calling of God. That's a life bigger than the calling of America. <laughs> That's a calling much bigger than the individuals, any individual sitting anywhere on the earth. It's a bigger calling than any nation. It's a bigger calling that's ever there. It's the largest call ever to lay myself down for that. And people that live that way lives big lives. Even though if you would kind of measure the grace or the anointing, it might be bigger or smaller than others, but that's not the point. It's the perspective for what they are living. His inheritance, his calling, his pleasure. You smell it around them. You see it around them. You see it how they approach every other thing in their lives, whether destiny, marriage, all the other things that goes with it. All the other ifs seems to be so small in view of that. So, there was a, um, there was a guy in the Old Testament um, that was completely consumed by God's purposes. It took some time. It took a long time. It took about 80 years 
Um, I'm sure she's got still 40 years or so. <laughs> and, uh, um, and this Moses, and God, God revealed to Moses his pleasure, his desire. He says to Moses, Moses, what it comes down to, I want to take this people to this promised land, this people, this people that were slaves in Egypt, this people that were, that were from, from Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, this people that I've chosen before the foundation of earth, I want to take them to the promised land, and I want you to lead them and take them there. Halfway down the line, Moses realized that this is a stubborn people. How many of you, how many of you know that if you are exactly in God's will, life will be easy. How many of you have that theology? It's like, but I am in God's will. Look, if that's your theology, it will be, it will be challenged very quickly. Because just because you're in God's will doesn't mean life is easy. And so Moses is on his way through Egypt, and this becomes... Uh, uh, through Egypt, through the desert, and this becomes a very, very, very challenging task. And most of all, the most challenging thing about this whole thing is the group of people that he leads. They're stubborn people. And God comes with a proposal to Moses. God comes with a proposal to Moses. This is Moses. This people that I gave you is a stubborn people. They're difficult people. What about me and you? Get away from them, and I'll get you a nice group. I tell you, in the years of speaking to leaders, any time that proposal is made to leaders, they like, yeah, give me a nice people to lead, God. And this is Moses' response to it. He says, God, I know your will. I know your ultimate desire is that this people, chosen before the foundation of the earth, out of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, these are the people that you want to bring there. And God, I'm consumed with your purpose. And so God, even, this is the request, even if you have to wipe out my name out of the book of life, so that this people can go, so that your purposes can be fulfilled, let it be. God, even if you have to go to hell, so that you can be satisfied and your pleasure can be found, I am consumed with your kingdom. I'm consumed with your pleasure. If it will mean <laughs> wiping out of the book of life, let it be. Paul says in um, Paul says in Romans nine verse three. He says, um, "I'm willing to be accursed from Christ, so that my brethren's sake." You know, the the Jews had many guys praying for that, but Paul is saying, "I'm willing to be accursed from Christ, so that my brethren, so that my brothers can come to the Lord." You throw it up there. Oh, you're quick. I didn't even give it to you. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. I'm willing, I'm willing. 
I am so passionate to see God's purposes bring about in this people that I'm willing to be a curse from Christ. I'm willing to go to hell. Look, I don't want to push that thing, but can you imagine? It's like, I will serve God with everything that is in me. I will lay down my life for everything that's in me. I will be consumed to see His kingdom come, even if it, at the end of the day I will go to hell. Your kingdom is my great reward. Then in, uh, um, in jo- uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get to the verse now. But in, in, in John... Um, John 12, it's towards the end of, the li- uh, of Jesus' life. John 13 starts the Last Supper. But John 12 is just after Lazarus is resurrected, and Jesus speaks a few things. And uh, um, I don't know, uh, um, I, used to, I used to get a lot of hidings at school, and I used to go to the headmaster, or the, 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 actually the hostel father hit harder than the headmaster. The, the, the hostel father was the, what, what do you call him, hostel father? He was a, he was a, I think he was an essay boxer or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he had the tendency to do this. You will know that he knows that you've done something wrong. But he won't call you in day one. He will let it drag for a week or two. Just to create that extra stress. <laughs> and you know, every, every lunch when he stands up, this might be the day that he says, can you please meet me in my office afterwards? And he would delay it purposefully. But get, I, I'm just, I just put yourselves in the, feet of, uh, in the shoes of Jesus here. It's like, I'm aware. <laughs> I'm aware of a cross that's about to happen. I'm fully aware that they're going to drive through nails through my, um, through my pulses. I'm fully aware that I'll have to carry the sin of the world. I'm, I'm fully aware that this most terrible thing is laying ahead of me. And you know, it's like when, when something like that is laying ahead of you. I mean, none of us have ever had that type of terrible thing laying ahead of us. But we have had this that we know something is awaiting us. And just the stress that comes with that. And even the way that we will pray and the way that we will cry out. And so Jesus is in that moment, understanding that what awaits him, understanding the cross. And he's got a relationship with God as we well, no, he ex- exceeds our relationship with God. <laughs> but he prays as we are. He is human in that sense as we are. And he prays. Uh, let's read it in John 12. It says, now, my soul is troubled. <laughs> I know what's going to happen to me. I'm, I'm not wondering this time if the guy's going to hit me two shots or three shots. Like I would have wondered. He knows it's going to be 39. It's going to rip his flesh apart. That will be just before <laughs> her. That's just to start things off. They're going to ravish my body until nothing is left. But apart from that, God will leave my soul. Apart from that, the sin and the distress of the world will be on me. So, it's fair for me to say, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm just wondering how, how, how we, uh, um, how our prayers are in moments of distress. I, I was, um, I was now in, um, uh, when obviously in Russia, 
the question that we get quite often is, how do we pray for the war? How do we pray for the war? And of course, I mean, we want the prayer to stop. <laughs> but I said, you know, there's an interesting verse in, in where Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. I can only be a peacemaker when there's... It's impossible to be a peacemaker when there's no conflict. You can only become a peacemaker when there's conflict. There's going to be no peacemakers in heaven, I'm just saying. <laughs> peacemaker is an opportunity that lays for us here on the earth. Blessed are you. Blessed are you, the peacemaker. And I said, well, there's, there's different ways to look at it, but there's such an opportunity here for God to show his light through his people. I'm not saying stop, uh, not praying for the war to stop. But there's just so much more that we could pray and ask and contend for for the kingdom to come. And here's Jesus. What shall I pray? Save me from this hour? And he continues. Wait, wait, wait. I was not finishing. But for this purpose, I came. Uh, for this purpose, I came to this hour. Next verse. Father, glorify your name. Like in all, this, all the struggles that we're going through, I know, I know your struggles is big, but I will risk to say that it's smaller than Jesus's at that moment. And he goes, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. What shall be my prayer in this moment? Save me from that boss. Save me from that uh, stress. Save me from this thing. Jesus, for this very hour I came, Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. And it's one of three, three times in, in the history of mankind that God the Father invades space and speaks to a crowd of people. The first one was at his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The second one was just Peter and John when they were at the transfiguration, Mount of Transfiguration, wanted to build a hut for, for Moses and Jesus. Like, oh, just what are you doing, you know? But the third time is in this instance. It's just so beautiful for God. I, I explained the, the, the this, uh, I was now in Russia and I explained it. It's almost like, it's almost like when, when you are, uh, um, I'm, uh, uh, I'm trying to, to use an example now. It's almost now, say for instance, Yandre meet Amaria's dad for the first time, right? I know Yandre. He loves his rugby, Right? So now Yandre goes to Amaria, and the pressure is we want to put on a good, good, good show for the first time. And so as it's been, the Saturday, the Saturday, him and Amaria's dad is going to watch rugby together, right? And Yandre needs to behave. Don't get too excited. Don't. And he's able to hold the pose the whole time. Yay. Yay. But you know, it's one of those five minutes before the end. What shall I say? Cheers from Corby. <laughs> Scores a try in the corner, and he just can't contain himself anymore. It's like, yay! Woohoo! <clears throat> I think for a moment, that was God's moment here. What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? 
But till this very hour I came, Father, glorify your name. He's like, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so special. It's so different. I will glorify your name. I have both glorified and I will glorify it again. So beautiful. There's something in us. That's something in us that can drive us. <laughs> it's, the, it's the glory of God. It's the satisfaction of God. It's the pleasure of God. That sometimes is not witnessed by anybody else. It's not celebrated by us. It's not the guy standing in front of the church and preaching and afterwards gets a pat on the back and says, Oh, brother, that was a beautiful preach. That's the easiest thing. Oh, what a cross to bear. I'm preaching. Oh, hey, you know. Doing what I want. Afterwards, somebody will come. Hey, well done, well done. Great is my reward in heaven. I don't know. I don't know. But then there's sometimes those instances, you know, when, when nobody sees. It's not celebrated in front. I'm not, never mind the world, never mind the, the South African newspapers. It's not celebrated in the church. You have to forgive somebody. No one sees. No one knows. No one understands the extent. And you choosing to forgive is not going to hear the testimony time on Sunday. It's not going to get a pat on the back. It's not going to be celebrated. No one will know it. But heaven sees. And heaven goes like, Gabriel, Gabriel, don't you want to just rewind that scene again? And just have to see it again. What's our perspective of what is glorious and what is great? I, I've, I've used that example. We're using the sport example now, but it's just like, uh, uh, it's just so interesting. I mean, I, I, I like sport, me and Yandre. That's, that's, that's delight. But the, the praises and celebration of, of events, of moments. Imagine. Imagine the, the what was it, 20, when, when did we won the World Cup? 2019. Imagine that, that Corby try. I was, actually, we were, we were at the church, we were watching it together. The praise was more exuberated than uh, many other times that I've ever seen. It was crazy. It was like, woohoo. I mean, I drove in the streets of Stellenbosch. It was crazy. Our car was picked up and carried around. It was, it was, it was crazy. And uh, um, um, anyway, so at that moment, stadiums were stirring. At that moment, many, many people in TV rooms and so on went off. At that moment, as that try happened, Jaslyn Corby, it's Corby, it's Corby. What's happening in heaven? You think all of heaven is quieting down? It's like, did you see that? You think even there's a conversation between the angels about this moment. It's not even been considered. But then there's this moments. <laughs> there's this moments. I love Karine. I love I love the, the word that she gave today. 
again, praying, you know, so, so fervently. I'm thinking, oh, let, let her pray. She's in a wheelchair from birth. She had thousands of people praying for her that her legs will be restored and healed. Never happened. Never been a condition that's going to extend of how much Jesus will be everything. What's your excuse? <laughs> I love it when the message comes from her. So there's moments here where we choose God, where it's not a Chesney Corby moment. In fact, no one sees it. No one knows it. And so it takes everything of me to finally lay down, God, for your glory, I'll do it. For your namesake, I'll do it. And the world will go on. The church will go on. You will not get your packet today. But heaven is quieting down. Oh. Shh, 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 shh. Do you see that moment? Jesus hanging on the cross. <laughs> Jesus hanging on the cross. The five thousands are gone. He's hanging on the cross and he goes, in that moment, he's not even considering himself. And he goes, Father, Father, I know you are angry with these guys now. But Father, they don't know what they're doing. They are clueless. They are blind. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In that moment, his consideration is not himself. It's God and his kingdom. I'm telling you, God goes like, oh, do you see that? The angels is like, shh, shh, shh. Watching it over and over again as we watch that Corby try over and over again. That is what moved heaven. And what are we living for? That which will move the earth, even move the church. And that which will move heaven. That will move God. At the cost of nobody seeing it. Nobody knowing it. Greatest satisfaction is the pleasure of God and the honor of God. Let's pray. <laughs> and I, I mean, pray with me here. Don't have to be loud now, just in your hearts. But if that opportunity that is in front of Jesus is in front of you, what is the what is the cry in our hearts? What's the perspective of life? Father, save me from this hour. Father, glorify your name. Father, bless me in this hour. <laughs> Father, elevate me in this hour. Father, glorify your name. Father, Jesus taught us how to pray. He taught us how to pray. Let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, that which moves heaven <laughs> is so far, far, far removed from what moves this earth. Or even the church. But Father, I pray that in somehow we can tap into 
the heartbeat and tap into the economy of heaven, that that which is beautiful to heaven will be beautiful to us. That which drives heaven, the calling of God and His inheritance will drive us more than anything in us. Glorify your name, God. Glorify your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Father, I pray that you will find us. I pray that you will find us if the devil will make his rounds here. And the question would be posed, but why are they in it, Lord Jesus? That we would be a people that can answer that question, Lord Jesus. None of those ifs is the reason that we're following you. It is you and your kingdom. Glorify your name, God. Glorify your name. We pray, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.